Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Meraki Unboxed. My name's Simon Thompson and we're very excited to have you back with us again for another exciting and illuminating episode. Uh, today we have a couple of guests who are going to take us through, I think, a very interesting and engaging conversation around the Meraki smart cameras uh, that we introduced about two and a half years ago now. They've been a huge success for us here at Meraki, but really we want to get behind the product, understand a little bit about its genesis and uh, why we brought this thing into life and how it's developed uh, over time, because it's certainly not the product it was uh, on the day it was launched. So without further ado, I'm going to hand things straight over to Sarah Lynn, who's going to take us into this conversation today. Thank you, Simon. I'm Sarah Lynn. I'm the product marketing manager for our MV smart camera line. And with me is George. Hello. Do you want more than that? <laughs> yeah, I'm George Benting. I'm the product manager for Camera Systems. Excellent. So, George, what can you tell me about the MV product line? Why did we create this product? Uh, because it was really cool. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> no, I think it really boils down to Meraki's focus on trying to simplify technology so more people can use it and get greater value from it. And if we go back a few years and we look at the sort of start of the whole camera project, it involved hearing lots of things from our customers that they wanted simplified. And cameras was one of them. There were many others uh, that people also asked about, but cameras seemed to come up. And when we dig into the detail of that, uh, essentially what we do is we go look at the market, we go look at existing technology there, and we go and we talk to a whole raft of customers. And you really start to see this incredibly archaic architecture, um, this infrastructure that is needed but not really useful, it just seemed ripe for disruption and ripe to apply basically newer technology uh, that can go solve these problems to that particular space. What were some of the problems that customers were facing with this older technology? I'm going to say it's the boxes, just the boxes. boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes. And I'm going to be honest, if I go back to my younger self when I left university, the excitement I had when I went into a server room or a comms room and I got to see all the servers when all I had at the time was just my small desktop PC was incredibly high. But now I am not excited by those because having had to manage them, look after them, like update them and all the rest of it is ridiculously painful. Mm -hmm. And we heard this story time and time again. And in the sort of physical security space around cameras, you've got these two major ones, the NVR, the network video recorder, and the VMS, the video management system. And then if you're really unlucky, you have a DVR, which is a digital video recorder, which is a whole host of other terrible things that uh, uh, I may go into a little later on. But essentially, you need somewhere to put your video these are where you put your video, mm -hmm. and they are just so painful to manage. They are storage servers. They always have issues. Power supplies fail. Hard disks fail. RAID arrays fail. No one knows what's going on. The IT team has sort of thrown this terrible infrastructure to look after, which has been chosen by some physical security people. It's, it's just generally no good. Uh, we interviewed, I don't know, tens, hundreds of people, and not a single person had anything good to say about having these boxes. Were they at least good-looking boxes? I don't know. I mean, some, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people can't even go see them. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing is people accept uh, the reality of there being a very high degree of mm -hmm. unavailability of these components. Uh, one that is just mind-boggling to me is so on in the IT and sort of technology space. Like at any given time, one customer told me like 20% 
of their NVRs may not be working for reasons they don't know. But that ended up being thousands of devices. I mean, do you want to spend literally millions of dollars on thousands of devices that are doing nothing for you? I don't. They don't. But this is just the world they had to live yeah, with. Yeah, and I think when uh, if that's the if that's the uh, current and I. I think the status quo is what you're talking about here. Yes. If that if that's what the status quo is, then people just accept that. They don't know that it can be any better. So can you tell us about how Envy solves some of those problems? Yeah, the way I, I like to think about it is um, Cisco and Cisco Maraki just has this huge technology expertise and IT-focused organization. And... We don't necessarily have a huge amount of experience in, say, lens manufacture. But mm -hmm. I can tell you now, you can go buy awesome lenses from like many different companies all over the world and assemble them into a product. It really is just a component you can buy off the shelf. But the things that we're good at are things that are not so easily commoditized or components you can just pick off the shelf. And they're things like our incredible, highly scaled global cloud system, uh, our engineering expertise on distributed computing and a real focus on the user experience being a primary thing of value, not some afterthought. You throw a company you want to contract to just make sure they got some sliders to adjust stuff. These are things that could genuinely go and like address the balance of like technology debt in this, in this space. And one of the ways that um, I feel the team and I really wanted to sort of set a vision for something different was when I joined, we had an incredibly small team of engineers. I think team is almost like a uh, generous word <laughs> considering <laughs> how many people were working on the project at the very start. But I inherited this one piece of documentation. And the thing that stands out to me on that was there was just a picture of, the unicorn, uh, of a unicorn on the first page. And it said, we're building a, and then there was a picture of a unicorn. And I was like, wow. I've never seen such a ridiculous document to kickstart <laughs> a complete product line project before. But it was interesting because it set this um, in this sort of uh, unwritten goal mm -hmm. of something unique, something pretty magical, like a great experience. And because we live in the Bay Area and we are in the world of unicorn IPOs, this idea of like a very commercially successful product as well. Uh, and so I guess it all started with the unicorn. Yeah, and it sounds like the idea of this unicorn really gave us the opportunity to think about how can we structure a product from scratch to fill the needs of our customers, not just take kind of what existed and move it to the cloud. And what do customers need? This is, I really love thinking abstractly about what we're trying to do on a regular basis and not be drawn into looking at widgets. And the idea that we sort of um, got behind on the camera team is this idea of focusing on solving problems, not on building features. And it sounds incredibly obvious. It sounds like everyone should do this. Uh, it doesn't seem like there any other solution would be a sensible one. But time and time again, you have great examples of the tech industry not doing this. And my favorite example, and if you've ever heard me speak about cameras before, you probably would have uh, heard me tell this uh, particular story, is this whole idea of buying a TV. And typically what I do is I ask the people I'm talking to, has anyone here bought a TV in the last five years? So I'm going to say... Sarah-Lynn, Simon, have you bought a TV in the last five years? I have. I can see some thumbs up. Okay, so we have some people who have bought TVs. <laughs> Next, I want to know how many of those people that have a TV 
that they bought in the last five years have a TV that's capable in any way of doing 3D? I do not, but I have to confess that the this is the second TV I've bought in, in the last five years, and the first one had 3D capability, and I never used it, so I got smarter. Yes, and this is, this is sort of my point, really. I ask, okay, so those of you that have 3D, how often have you used it? And almost always, people have never used it or used it once, or I had someone tell me they got their TV into 3D mode by accident and it took them an hour to get it out. <laughs> uh, I've only been proven wrong maybe twice ever. One, the person's uh, father was a 3D TV engineer, which I feel is like a somewhat unfair <laughs> uh, person to come across in such a question. And another one where uh, her kids were just super enthusiastic about watching 3D Disney films again and again and again and again. So when you look at that and you go out and you buy a TV for a thousand dollars and you see one which has all of these features including 3d and then you see another one for a thousand dollars that has some features but not 3d you feel like you're getting better value right so you're getting that extra thing mm -hmm. but 3d tv is now dead it's not really a thing that people talk about anymore very few people ever used it it was very inconvenient to use at home it wasn't simple definitely didn't solve a problem i had of watching tv at home only added to my problems because i'd now be wearing two pairs of glasses it just it just wasn't useful at all and we see this time and time again across the tech industry and in the camera space where there are specific solutions for specific problems suitable for some customers but no one's bothered to go and solve this cost and complexity and the operational difficulty of the infrastructure. And my take on this is that the camera companies don't have the expertise to do this, but we do. Okay, so moving into more of the specifics of the camera, what can you, how does our solution differ from what customers might typically see and what types of customers can benefit from this type of solution? So the big major one is you have to buy a camera and nothing else. No NVR, no VMS, no DVR, no boxes, hardware of any kind at all. It's just the camera. So no boxes. There are no boxes. Um, I'm gonna say that again, no boxes. Okay. Uh, we really don't have the boxes. It comes in a box. I, maybe I should be honest. So it there does come are in a box. Boxes are just cardboard now, recyclable. Actually, a lot of work goes into those cardboard boxes. Like you think it's just a cardboard box, but it has to protect the product when it gets dropped. So you've got to drop test them. You've got to make sure as much of it as possible is recyclable. You've got to make sure it doesn't slice you with horrible cardboard cuts when you open it. Like it's got to be not cost too much. Uh, it's got to be easy to open when you have a thousand of them. So you're not spending forever opening them, but still feel quality and like a good experience. I could go on about cardboard boxes. In fact, Simon, should you ever ask me back, which <laughs> your face is saying <laughs> may, not, may not happen, I will happily talk to you about cardboard boxes for half an hour. We're going to put boxes on the no more mentioning in this podcast list. Yeah, okay. So I think I've done the boxes thing to, to death here. But what does that mean? It means we have a camera and you have a cloud at license so you can operate it on the Meraki cloud and everything is done in the camera. So what that means is where your video is going to be, it's going to be in the camera. Uh, we have a very high level of solid state storage integrated into each and every camera. It's not a memory card you have to go poke in. Uh, it's built into the device. And that means we store all the video in the camera. And the reason we did that, rather than building a box, well, firstly, people don't want boxes, but then putting the video in the cloud, we don't put video in the cloud because so many customers don't have a sufficiently large internet connection 
could go and put their video in the cloud. And the Meraki camera is suitable for like pretty much anyone that wants a security camera or maybe even a camera that does more than security. And we're going to be talking about smart cameras, I hope. We are. We are. Good, good. I want to make sure. And so by putting it in the camera, it means it can scale from one camera to more than 100,000 cameras and all you buy are cameras. You don't ever end up with a component of the system that doesn't scale and doesn't like give you some value in some way. Uh, and the reason we're able to do this uh, is thanks to the mobile phone industry. Uh, the revolution in both storage and computing power in low uh, power small phones is incredible. And by taking that and building it into our cameras, we're able to produce not only a camera that stores everything in the camera, but also does all the analytics. It does all the advanced uh, sort of insights we're going to talk about a bit later on. Okay. So I've heard that we've had some kind of recent announcements around the camera, some new hardware and some new software functionality. Uh, tell us about that. I mean, I feel like we haven't even talked about the stuff we did three years ago, which is still exciting <laughs> and still interesting and I could talk about for way longer than we have on this podcast. So maybe we should do that another mm -hmm. time. But in terms of the most recent updates, uh, the, the sort of really big ones are a couple of weeks ago, we launched the MV32. And the MV32 is an incredibly small, high resolution fisheye camera or 360 degree mm -hmm. camera. And what's so cool about that is we had lots of people asked us for something called a PTZ camera. You may be one of those people listening to this podcast right now. Well, for those of you who don't know what that is, essentially means pan, tilt, zoom. I want to move it around. The camera's looking over here, but I want it to look over here, and I want to zoom in. And so rather than buying like four or five cameras to look every which way, you can buy one, and then you can move it around. The problem is moving things around typically requires motors and other components which are big, are expensive and fail. And so using, again, this newer generation of technology, we've taken this high resolution sensor, stuck it in a fisheye camera, so that's one that sees everything. And then we're able to de-warp that. And all that means is instead of it looking like you've got fish goggles on, hang on, hang on I, sorry. We don't have fish goggles. Imagine you're a fish <laughs> and what the world may look like. Maybe it'll look like this. <laughs> but basically, it flattens that all out into an image that's more like easily understood by you and I. And you can move around inside it. And you can like look around. You can look over there and over here. And the camera's recording everything all of the time, which is pretty incredible. And if that isn't enough, you can do it with a VR headset. Okay. And so just to be clear, with this, we can move it around so we can look at different things. Mm. But when we're looking over to my left, it's still recording to the right, right? Yeah, so we're not actually moving anything in the camera. The camera is completely static. All the parts in the camera are static. It's just we are changing our digital view of what we're seeing mm -hmm. by moving around with our mouse, tilting our phones, or moving our VR headset. So that's actually better than a PTZ camera because if I'm looking over to my left, then I'm missing everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And what's so cool is you can watch something and be like, huh, what happened over there? Well, that happens. You rewind and you watch exactly the same thing again from a different angle. Uh, I mean, it is very Minority Report-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Use this power wisely. Uh, yes. Very much so. <laughs> it's rather addictive. Yeah. And so this camera, totally different form factor, 
different type of lens, but it has the same features and functionality as the rest of our current family, right? Which we didn't talk about. So, I've, I mean, it has all of these things, amazing Just things. Just, re yeah, recap us, <laughs> on, recap us on the, <laughs> the things. Uh, it has the ability to record uh, your, your video. You can set schedules when it records. You can optimize how long it records for. You can connect the camera wirelessly if you want. We can do a whole other podcast, podcast on wireless, Simon. I'm getting some evil glances now. Uh, maybe I'm teeing up a little too much future content. <laughs> but it allows you to do so much with just the, the device itself. Um, if you're on motion alerts, you can mm -hmm. get an alert. If someone walks through the door, you can do that. Stuff like that. That sounds pretty cool. So one of the other things that we uh, just announced as well that I think is pretty exciting is this idea of motion recap. Now, I have heard you talk about it, and you've said that it really does change the way that customers will interact with video. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so this is where I'm going to go super abstract mm -hmm. again. Um, why do customers want cameras? This is like a thing that I think about so regularly. Mm -hmm. like, why do customers want cameras? And in fact, it's a thought exercise I, I play with our new hires who are always up for playing games during our training sessions, which is, why do they have it? And they come up with all these ideas. And then what I ask them to do is think about abstractly, what do all of those things have in common? Because they've said security and safety and insurance and all sorts of other stuff. And for me, the thing that they all have in common is this idea of information. I, as the person looking at the video, after some form of information. And almost always today, that's for a security-related task because that's what the technology is being deployed for, and that's all it's relatively convenient to use it for. For all other purposes, it becomes horribly inconvenient. But when you make it very simple to use and you're able to go access video and the video you want very quickly, then the information could be other things. Uh, I think one of uh, the great examples of this is a restaurant chain I was told about who were putting cameras into their kitchens. And that's because there are no servers needed. So they can just put one camera in and they can remotely access it securely without a VPN through the market mm -hmm. dashboard. And then the head chef watches all the kitchens. And the reason for this is to make sure new recipes from the corporate office are being sort of carried out and prepared correctly for like quality control and assurance across their retail sort of uh, restaurant chain. This is not a security use case at all, but it's this really interesting idea that the information is what's useful. So why are people after information? They want answers. Oh no, they have a question. Oh. Which we could give them an answer to. So you're almost there. You like just. I skipped ahead. You sort of ruined my surprise, but uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> what if we take that to like a really far gone conclusion? Let's make a video camera where we aim to never show you video. Does that sound like a good idea? I think it sounds like a crazy idea. It's a really intriguing concept because then you're trying to get people the answer to their question more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Video is incredibly rich data, but it's very, very inefficient. Watching it takes a ton of time. Uh, and should you have watched the Maraki YouTube channel sometime in the last seven years, you'll probably find some very old content of me on there. Uh, I edited some of those. I can tell you now that like for every one or two minutes of video, it could easily take a few hours. So it's really, really time consuming. So if we take this idea of never showing someone video, how do we get you the answer to your question? We end up with essentially what motion recap is. And so 
motion recap is underpinned by one of our core technologies called motion search. Mm -hmm. uh, we're currently on motion search 2.0, which is the latest version of motion search, which uses a technology called background subtraction to be able to isolate moving items uh, in the scene. Now, this is not to be confused with our machine learning for computer vision implementation, which is something separate that can actually identify what those objects are. This just looks at things that are changing, um, but it's very precise. It's not based on like pixels moving. It's based on like our understanding of uh, background and foreground. And it can cut these items out of the background. And that could be a cat walking along. It could be a car driving by. It could be a employee stealing a highly valued gnome from our coffee bar. I didn't do it. Uh, I have evidence to prove <laughs> otherwise. Um, essentially, it takes all of these pieces of the changing video and it cuts out all the differences. And then it assembles those in a time series order in one image, in one frame. And so now when you search for something, you can go search and it brings back all these thumbnails of uh, the event as a motion recap. And it's a 30 second piece of video summarized in one image that takes a third of a second to watch. And they're so cool to look at. Uh, that's the first thing. But the second thing is I stopped watching video. Like, it's just so useful. In fact, it's more useful than video quite often because it gives you all context simultaneously. With video, you play, you rewind, you fast forward, you pause, you rewind, you play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the motion recap shows you all points of time at the same time in just one image. And it's incredible. And when the engineer working on this was sort of designing it and talking about it, everyone was like, that's really cool and looks nice, but so what? But the moment you start using it, you realize how fundamentally different this is as a way of interacting with, with video. And just amazingly, this is all in camera with no servers. We don't do any of the processing of the video in the cloud. And it's done with no extra cost. It's just part of the Meraki software license for your camera. And so everyone that has a uh, MV12, 22, 72, or 32 today, will get this technology as well in the process of receiving this technology at no additional cost. Uh, and it's pretty incredible to see how people save time and discover new things using this. I can agree with George. It's a little hard to describe visual things on a podcast. That's why I think the camera podcast is a little challenging to do. There's a lot um, of hand waving this but end yes, which you there, can't there see. Really, <laughs> <laughs> there really was. We do encourage you to check out uh, more information on our website or our blog about that. Um, but we've mentioned this a few times now, the idea of um, analytics and sensor and machine learning. And I personally think this is one of the most exciting um, areas for cameras right now and actually for technology right now. So can you talk more about uh, what the MV Smart Camera line is doing in that arena? Yeah, so if we think about the camera as a source of information, then what does it represent at that point? And if it's a source of information or something that can quantify the physical world, it is a sensor. And so when you become, again, abstract about what a camera is, it is a sensor for light. And so if we can keep thinking about it as this way of gathering information, the camera becomes essentially a sensor for the enterprise, not just a tool for security. This is where we get into the really interesting area of I know Simon told me not to say it, but I'm going to say it, MLCV. I'm afraid I didn't get a rise from Simon there, but <laughs> machine learning for computer vision. 
Like this whole industry is tied up with a whole host of acronyms and it can get a bit overwhelming sometimes. So there's AI, there's ML, there's CV, there's DNNs, there's CNNs, all of this stuff. But how do you actually make use of it? How do you actually use it today as something that can benefit your business, your school, uh, your hospital, essentially where you're going to be using it. Yeah, it seems pretty complicated, pretty theoretical, and like it might be really complicated to implement. Yeah, uh, so what what do we mean? What yeah. does it mean at Meraki? So machine learning is this uh, technology where rather than us designing an algorithm, so as an engineer, um, and uh, if you see me on YouTube, you'll know that sometimes I wear a hat. Uh, or you see me in real life, sometimes wear a hat. So I write an algorithm that defines the properties of a hat, like the crown and the brim and the type of materials it can be used at. And I like create all of this myself as an engineer. And this looks at the properties in the images to detect a hat. And it detects hats pretty well until one day I wear an outrageous hat that no one has seen before and the algorithm fails. And someone will have to go fix it again. Now, with machine learning, rather than like a human creating all the parameters that represent a hat, they create an algorithm which is able to learn the properties of the hat, like the crown and the brim and the materials and the colors, all the other properties that a hat could have. And this can like take the form of many different types of machine learning algorithms. Uh, and sort of like one of the very common ones you're gonna come across uh, for computer vision, so that's what that CV piece stands for, is something like deep neural networks. Uh, and so these neural networks are able to categorize the properties of my hat by watching thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of images of the particular thing they're trying to be trained on. So what you do is you train them and they get better at detecting those. Um, and so that type of technology really allows for new types of uh, inference. And so that's another word you'll come across in this uh, sort of um, grammar, I guess, of like, mm -hmm. uh, this type of technology is inference, what it can detect in the image. Uh, and so let's, so let's sort of loop this all together and go into what this means at Meraki. It means we have the capability on the camera to detect people. And that's using machine learning for computer vision, which means that it's getting better over time as we train it on more images. And it allows the camera to detect people in real time, all in the camera at the edge with no servers in a whole host of different conditions because it's seen so many images of people in different conditions. And I can detect. Uh, you I can, can detest. I hope there's no I detesting. Can, <laughs> I can attest to this. Um, no, I, I, I was going to comment about your hats, and it may have been subliminal. I do like your hats, though. Um, I can attest to this because it has been able to recognize George in a variety of different hats as well. So it is not just about we can see a people, a, a person with a head and, you know, arms. It's we can see that this is a person with a hat of many different colors as well yeah I, I feel that's personally important to me maybe not to our entire customer base but why should you care about this technology um, why is this important well it's important because when you get the knowledge of people and importantly we can tell you where they are in real time using our APIs using that machine learning computer vision inference so there's the, all those words there uh, that happens in camera 
And so we have some pretty cool demos where it turns lighting on and off when people walk into mm -hmm. the room. Uh, we have a video of one of my colleagues playing a piano by walking up and down and each part of where he walks corresponds to a different key on the piano. Uh, we have customers looking at using it for fraud detection in retail because they want to know if someone is stood near the checkout when an employee is processing a refund. Mm -hmm. All of this data is now becoming available from the very rich data source that is video. And what that means is the camera is now this software-defined sensor. Its additional sensing capabilities can be upgraded through new machine learning models, which are continuously being developed and delivered to your camera. And I want to round this out on the sort of ML piece with uh, what I feel is like a really lofty goal. Uh, and I feel slowly I'm pulling people towards this vision, which is the democratization of AI. And that may sound ridiculously lofty, but this technology has often been in the hands of like really big hyperscale companies. Uh, how do you, with Sarah Lynn's like bespoke coffee shop with five seats take advantage of this i can't right it's, it's hard, too expensive right? yeah you know about coffee you're not machine learning phd mm -hmm. uh, how do you go use it and when it comes in your security camera by default and it's on and it's always working and it doesn't cost you any extra you can benefit from this technology immediately Yet you could also be a multinational with 100,000 cameras where you also want the access to this data, but deploying 20,000 servers across all your locations would also be completely unfathomable. It just costs too much money, it'd be too complicated. We also allow you to get to the point where you can use machine learning for computer vision in a realistic manner. And so democratization of AI is just making it available to everyone. And uh, it's something I'm pretty passionate about okay well i think that about wraps up the questions that i had i think simon has some questions yeah. he looks like he's taking over well, sarah lynn did an amazing job um <laughs> but i feel like we got off lightly on the whole hat story um george uh i don't know how much our listeners want to hear about your hat collection but tell us how many hats you have exactly i feel like we already talked about hats way more than anyone anticipated on a hats podcast and about boxes cameras. i think um yeah, uh, I am asked regularly. I just say, first of all, do you count helmets? Because I have a surprisingly large number of helmets because uh, I end up doing way too many dangerous things. And then I say it's normally more than 10. So more than 10. And, and what is the hat that you're wearing today? Just describe that for our listeners. It is a straw pork pie or American Panama hat. Uh, most of my hats have a backstory because uh, I buy them when I travel somewhere, and this one is from Las Vegas. Uh, uh, Vegas? Okay. This is a Las Vegas hat, yeah. All right. Well, I, I have a feeling that we could actually do an entire podcast series on George's hats. I prefer uh, to talk about cameras, but, but if that's what the audience <laughs> demands, then we'll do Let's see hats. what the feedback says. Yeah. Uh, let us know, listeners, uh, what you would like to, uh, to hear more about, the, the cameras or the hats or both. Because uh, George has so many stories about the camera, loves talking about it all day. And I, I think, as he indicated in there, we could easily get into some more detail on just you know one or two of these features and spend more time on those. And we'd certainly love to do that. Uh, your feedback is what's going to drive this thing. So do let me know uh, what you think and uh, what you'd like to hear about next. Uh, what I'm going to do now is just wrap things up, I think. So I want to thank um, Sarah Lynn and George very much for uh, coming along and joining us on the podcast today. I hope you found it an 
interesting and engaging session. There's uh, certainly quite a bit of information in there. Definitely worth a rewind and another listen if you want to hear anything more about any of it. Let me know. And you can reach out to me online. I'm on Twitter at Meraki Simon. And so that would definitely be a good way to reach me directly. Otherwise, if you head on to the community at community.meraki.com, that's where all the conversation goes on about all things Meraki. Uh, So do come along there as well. Now, just a quick reminder about the Meraki Unbox podcast. We're trying to sort of alternate between slightly more tech heavy like we've had today uh, and also, you know, a little bit more about what Meraki is about as a as a company and an organization. So that's our plan as we move forward. And we'd love to hear your feedback on what you'd like to hear from us. Uh, So please do let me know uh, what that is. And as I said, that will help to shape us going forward. So. From the three of us who are in the room today, uh, George, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. Sarah Lynn, amazing interviewing skills. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. All right, we're going to wrap this. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.